All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying and What is Chen Selling? To sign up for either of those letters, you can go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, uh, or you can call our office in New York at 718 457 1426. 718 457 1426. want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making this one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. want to encourage you to continue sending along your questions and comments, criticisms, praises, what have you, to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And would like to invite you to follow me on Twitter as well at jtaylormedia. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Novo Resources, Cornerstone Capital Resources, and Belmoral Resources. Well, I am a firm belief that the global economy is in such trouble as it has, uh, that it is in such trouble as it is because human beings attempt to stray from honesty. That may sound simplistic, uh, but in particular, the focus of this show has been on honest money. Within limits, I believe the laws of economics ultimately prevail over human dictators, but in the meantime, the dictators, which in the United States uh, uh, own and run, are are really those people that own and run major center uh, money banks, are in fact nothing less than deceitful counterfeiters of money, and they are the parasites that are at the center of our growing global economic malaise. As it says in the Bible, there are Uh, There is nothing new under the sun, uh, such has been the history throughout the centuries of human beings, uh, humans taking advantage, uh, hurting one another uh, for their own selfish interests. But believing as I do that there is a creator God in heaven who sets limits as to the amount of evil that humans can do to one another, I've titled today's show, Will Gold Markets Soon Send J.P. Morgan, Goldman, and City to Hell?, Now, after the hellish $50 smackdown in the price of gold yesterday, the 20th of July, it may be tempting to give up on the notion of a powerful creator who is in control because these counterfeiting banking agencies continue to print money endlessly. They use that to drive down the price of gold. uh, And there seems to be absolutely no limits to the carnage that they can pile on to innocent citizens around the world. But will the natural laws of economics eventually prevail? That is a question I want to ask my uh, main guest today, David Kranzler, who will be with me in about uh, half an hour from now, the half past the hour or so. Dave will join me uh, to talk about that and many other topics uh, related to that issue. 
And in a few minutes after our first commercial break, Quentin Henning returns to provide us with some exciting news about Novo Resources, which company is moving forward very rapidly, seems uh, to be the case anyway, towards gold production, perhaps coming within the next year. Uh, And the economics, while still being defined, at this early stage look very robust. Not only that, but Dr. Henning uh, and Novo is exploring what is for sure a Witwatersrand type of gold deposit. It's not saying it will be another Witwatersrand, but it is an exciting proposition nonetheless uh, because the Witwatersrand deposits in South Africa are by far the largest gold discoveries in the history of the world. In fact, something like a third or a fourth or a third or 40 percent of all the gold ever produced has come out of that South African gold field. So we'll be talking to Dr. Henning in a few minutes after a first commercial break. Well, given the enormous move in gold yesterday, I would like to pass along a few of the comments from some of my favorite technical analysts, starting with Dr. Robert McHugh, a fairly extensive missive that he put out in his executive summary yesterday. I'll pass some of those remarks along to you. Quote, Dr. McHugh, he says, I believe stocks are about... Uh, to decline and precious metals and mining stocks are about to rally. I believe a major top is imminent in stocks and a major bottom is imminent in precious metals and mining stocks. Tonight's newsletter, which was sent early this morning, uh, has a lot to say and show about these topics with several new charts in the newsletter to help make the point. Monday's plunge in gold and mining stocks sure felt like capitulation. Selling exhaustion should be near. The industrials are completing a rising bearish wedge from October 2014. They are finishing wave E up now with a possible upside price target of 18,500 on the Dow. However, the industrials could truncate and top below the May 19th top. Uh, the the uh, S&P 500 uh, is a couple of points short of hitting a new high. The NASDAQ 100 hit a new high yesterday, Monday, July 20th. The point with these facts is that new highs at this time, in this phase of the rising bearish wedge pattern we have been tracking for months, means that because the final wave E rising trend is in the final move higher for the rally from 2009, once the stock indices reach new highs, it means the top can be in at any moment. The industrials have formed a classic rounded top, uh, and he points to page 23 in his missive. He says, this is a very bearish uh, top and supports the possibility that the industrials wave E top could truncate. Further, look at the daily full statistics. They are overbought, which again supports the possibility of a top occur at any moment. Uh, skipping over a lot of the uh, the verbiage that he passed along, uh, he paints a very bearish picture for uh, the stock market. He thinks that we're very close to a major uh, top and then a uh, very major downside over the next several years. We believe that a bottom in mining stocks and precious metals is imminent, Dr. McHugh says, ending their long corrective bear market since September 2011. If you look at the chart on page 28, you will see that Monday's sharp decline in mining stocks completed a large decline bullish wedge that started back in 2013. The fifth wave finally reached and dropped significantly below the bottom boundary. Call me a liar if mining stocks drop a bit further this week. However, a bottom is imminent. We would need to see new buy signals in our key indicators for confirmation. Then it should rise substantially for a long time. The coming rally should coincide with the coming stock market crash. Well, he goes on to talk more about 
uh, the many reasons why he believes that we are seeing both gold and the gold mining shares nearing uh, their bottom. And uh, from then, he believes that we are headed to much higher prices. In fact, he's sticking by his earlier forecast of fourteen twenty-five on uh, for gold uh, before the end of the year, and it's something like a forty percent rise from the current levels. Uh, so, Dr. McHugh is definitely very bullish on gold, very bearish on stocks. Yes, it isn't, uh, may not feel that way because of recent price action, uh, but Dr. McHugh has been sticking to this for a long time, as has uh, Michael Oliver as well. His, uh, from a very different point of view, his views are also very bullish on gold uh, and, uh, and very bearish on stocks as well. Uh, just uh, a moment here to, for a couple of quotes from uh, Michael Oliver. He says, uh, in the dark Sunday night, the futures plummeted from above 1130 to a low of, eight, uh, of 1080 before rebounding back to 1110, all in a minute. MSA's update report from Friday morning addresses this possibility, arguing that around 1090, one should look for a low. Not 1,000 or 800, as many uh, bears in, uh, gold bears are, are forecasting. The hue and cry is that gold is going to continue to 1,000 or 800, where it will then be a great buy. I'm certainly glad they have that all figured out. The same they that did not figure out the top in 2012 for gold. Meanwhile, MSA reminds uh, remains of the. Uh, Meanwhile, MSA remains of the technical view that the collapse to 1180 in 2013 was the bulk of the collapse and that what what has happened since then is basing action residue. He goes on then to point out uh, the similarities between what he sees in the bottom of this gold bear market and the bottom of the equity market, the for S and P's in the 2008-2009 timeframe. Michael is clearly and has been very consistent, uh, as has Dr. Robert McHugh, about their views that we are very near, if not at the near, for gold, and very near, if not at the near, for the top in the equity markets. Well, that's uh, we do have to go to our first break, but don't go away because coming up next will be Dr. Quinton Henning, who heads up what I think is one of the most exciting junior gold exploration stories anywhere, not only because he may be onto a phenomenal gold discovery akin to the great Whitwater's Rand deposit in South Africa, but more importantly, in the near term, it seems possible, if not probable, uh, that Quinton's company, Novo Resources, could become a very profitable gold producer within the next year. If so, there is no way this company's share price of around 35 cents will last for long. Well, we do have to go to a break, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Quentin Henning. Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm glad to have with me once again Dr. Quentin Henning. He's the president and CEO of one of my favorite companies, namely Novo Resources. Well, Dr. Henning is a seasoned veteran exploration geologist. Uh, he's worked with major mining companies in the past. Uh, he's highly respected among his peers. There are two reasons why Novo is one of my favorite gold stocks at this time. First, it appears to hold the potential for early gold production with prospects uh, for very robust economics. But secondly, uh, and from a longer-term perspective, Novo Resources appears to have the potential for discovering a major deposit along the lines, potentially at least, of a Whitwaters Rand deposit. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Whitwaters Rand in South Africa, it is singly the largest gold occurrence discovered in the history of humankind. So it is a very remarkable deposit. Dr. Whitney, as we've explained on this show before, has... uh, uh, really, after studying the rocks of uh, the Whitwaters Rand rocks and uh, the geology, uh, he has found this area in northwestern Australia that he believes has the potential to hold, host uh, another major Whitwaters Rand like deposit. Novo trades in Toronto under the symbol NVO, and you can buy it in the United States as I have under the symbol NSRPF. There are approximately 74.2 million shares outstanding. Uh, stock has been trading down like most gold stocks have. It uh, closed in the U.S. at around 34 cents in U.S. money, uh, having a market cap of around 25 million dollars uh, U.S. dollar, uh, 25 million U.S. Uh, dollars at this point in time. Welcome, Quentin. Thank you for joining me again today. Yeah, thank you very much, Jay. Really, always good to to get an update on Novo Resources, uh, my favorite gold stock. You know, the greatest gold deposit, as I just sort of uh, sort of uh, mentioned, was discovered uh, in South Africa quite a while ago, I, I guess towards the end of the previous century. It's known as the Whitwaters Rand. I don't know if it's a third or a fourth or a half of all the gold that's been produced by mankind. It's, it's a major portion of all the gold that's ever been produced has come out of there. And based on your studies of Whitwaters Rand Rock, uh, you, in your days at uh, Newmont and your studies at uh, Colorado School of Mines, you, you identified the Pilbara region uh, in northwestern Australia as a likely area in the world where another Whitwaters Rand type deposit may be found. Now, you've spent several years there now, Quentin, exploring that region, and the last we talked, from a geological point of view, you were still very encouraged. Do you still think there is a potential f- to find another rich monster deposit uh, similar to the Whitwaters Rand uh, at your Beaton's Creek? project in Australia or in that general area? Yes, Jay, I, I do. I've, I've stuck with this project for a number of years, as you said. Um, it's it's not something you find overnight. Uh, Avits is a, a very large system. And we, we've you know, faced this, this challenge with the downturn in the gold market, but at the same time, I remain quite optimistic. You know, the beauty of rocks is they don't change. They don't care what goes on in the markets. They, they pretty much stay in the ground. Uh, so, uh, as far as is the you know the evidence we have the supporting evidence for the potential here, I, I feel just as enthusiastic today as I did ten years ago. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think I'll touch on a, a few uh, things that, that uh, you, you mentioned. And this really is for background, if anything, sure. about the Bogersrand. I, I would say um, one of the questions I get a lot is, not questions, but I guess misconceptions I see a lot, is that the, the Witwatersrand, which hosts these conglomerate horizons, is completely underlain by those horizons. Mm-hmm. If you just Google Witwatersrand and you know Goldfield or something to that effect and look for a map of the Witwatersrand Basin, you'll see that only a small percentage of the basin is actually underlain by these gold, the Goldfields there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be you know one or two percent of the overall basin as as in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Well, here in the Pilbara, we have um, you know in Novos Ballywick, we have about eighteen hundred square kilometers, and you know we're focused at Beaton's Creek, uh, which is near the town of Nulligan right now. I think that we have that kind of potential to find something like a Midwater and Goldfield uh, in in this basin. The Nulligan sub basin is on the order of I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 square kilometers, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've already kind of latched into the, the outcropping portion of the system, and I see you know, good evidence that these reefs continue at depth. So, yes, I think we have that kind of potential. Yeah, and you actually put a deep hole down that um, sort of discouraged people that weren't that uh, well-tuned into what, you know, into the geology of this uh, of this system, but you gained encouragement from that deep hole, even though it didn't grade economic. Uh, it showed you that the um, that this reef system extended quite a ways away from where you're working now, right? Correct. That was about three or four kilometers out. Uh, I considered a distal environment. You know, looking at the geology that we encountered in that hole, uh, I would say it's telling us uh, a couple of things. One is that along the the Better exploration target is probably along the what would be the eastern boundary of the subbasin. So we're going to pull. You know, once we get back to testing these deeper reaches, we're going to pull back in and, and test that eastern margin more closely. The other thing is, uh, of course, you know, we have nuggety gold, so uh, it it just adds to the complexity of ch- uh, evaluating the, these kind of deposits. You can drill a hole in one spot and drill a hole a meter away and you can have uh, a nugget in one sample and no nugget in the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't discourage me in the least. It, in fact, it encourages me because I, I can tell you now that there's gold three or four kilometers out from the uh, the area we've already drilled. I mean, that, that's astounding in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, Quinton, though, when you're talking about finding something large, it can take a lot of time. And one of the things, as I mentioned when I was just introducing you again, that I like about your story is that you have prospects for, for coming to production, getting this project into production fairly quickly. Uh, can, can you give us a little idea of why and how you might be able to get this into production? I think you're, you're thinking the chances are very good that you can have this in production perhaps within the next year. Why, uh, why should people believe this is possible? After all, most people would say, yeah, it sounds like another Vancouver stock story. Um, yeah. you know, but why, why could this actually be possible? Why could it actually be that you could produce gold uh, within a short, very short period of time of having made this discovery? Sure thing. So, firstly, I would encourage people to look at our presentation. There's some pictures in, in our presentation on our website that show uh, information about the geometry and, and the potential ease of mining this, as well as uh, the potential for very simple gravity recovery. 
you can get a very good feel for what we're we're trying to tackle here just based on the, the slides in that presentation. Uh, but to, to back up, so like I said a minute ago, we're basically, we've latched on to the outcropping part of this mm -hmm. system. It's an area that's uh, roughly three or four square kilometers, which is underlain by shallow, thoroughly oxidized gold-bearing conglomerate horizons. And these horizons are on the order of a meter to two meters thick. They, they're interstratified in some places, so you get a stack of these things. Other places, they basically condense down into one sheet-like deposit. But uh, all of those reefs are within, say, a, a few meters of surface. The material is heavily oxidized and weathered so that it's quite soft. We can rip it with a bulldozer, at least in, in concept. We envision no drilling, no blasting. We envision uh, sele highly selective mining, minimal dilution, we can see uh, recovery of the gold out of the conglomerates by screening out the, the large barren boulders within the material, uh, just focusing on the matrix. So, you know, basically we, we see a, a very robust case for developing a mine here. A lot of people, as you said, you know, I, uh, they might view us with a, a bit of a skepticism, I guess. Um, they might say, well, gee, you know, here, here you got an exploration geologist trying to put together an operating mine. Actually, I've built uh, a team around uh, a gentleman named Simon Pooley. He's an Australian. He's built many small mines uh, in his career. He actually built the mine straight across the road from us that belongs to Millennium Minerals. Uh, Simon knows this project. He, he decided to join us based on the merits of this project. And because he knows the locals, he knows the, the uh, mining you know, permitters here in WA and so forth, we're at a great advantage to move this thing forward. We have a, a very strong team at this point uh, with Simon and, and some of his counterparts, as well as uh, right now in Perth, <laughs> there, is a, there isn't a lot of work. So you have a lot of engineers who are quite hungry. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, we've been able to, to pick sort of the cream of the crop to help us with this project. Oh, that sounds very promising. Now, you mentioned, I think you sort of, uh, sort of implied some of the factors from a mining perspective, low mining costs. Uh, you, have, you mentioned the nuggeting effect, and you've done a lot of uh, sort of bulk samples that you've done. Uh, I guess uh, channel samples might be the, what people think of. Uh, so that Correct. you could eliminate this statistical problem of the nuggeting effect. Uh, can you give our listeners some sense of what sort of average grades you might expect uh, coming out of that based on the work that you've done so far? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm actually going to give a little bit more than that. So winding the clock back about two or three years ago when we were first drilling here, we, uh, we didn't recognize the, the severity of the nugget, nugget issue. Mm -hmm. We we there was coarse gold, but we didn't realize that essentially all of it is coarse gold. So when we were taking samples, we were collecting uh, relatively small samples at, at the draw rig. We were taking relatively small samples at the lab and then processing them to evaluate how much gold was in the samples. Uh, it, the data that was produced from that, it was, it was a bit mixed. You could tell that you know, some samples would get a nugget, some samples wouldn't. It was very hard to compare from hole to hole values and things like this. We knew there were some issues. So we we worked with uh, uh, technical folks at Newmont who happened to be a large shareholder, and uh, we came up with a sampling protocol last year that would be robust enough to evaluate the gold grades 
uh, of this type of system. And we went back, and when we drilled last year, we collected very large samples of the drill rig. We're now processing very large samples in the lab. Uh, we've almost got all of those done. We've got uh, a large number of uh, trench samples or channel samples, as you call them, out of uh, open cuts, you know, actual you know, surface samples. And we can now evaluate better the grades that we're seeing. Uh, we've seen a significant jump in grades from, say, the drilling two or three years ago to now. We see uh, a further increase in grades as we, we get some of this new data back with these very large three kilogram leach wells. Uh, for instance, last uh, news release I put out, I, I show in there that statistically we're seeing over, a, a, well, about a 33%, about a third increase in gold grades over previous assays. Mm. Um, we've got a bunch of uh, what are called GRG, gold, gravity gold recovery samples in the lab at this time. We've got 50 of them. And once we get that data back, we'll, we'll show to the world that, uh, that you know, the calculating head grades for this nugget of gold mineralization are actually quite robust. We, we think that the oxide resource we're going to put out will be on the order of uh, around three grams per ton. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's pretty remarkable when you look at uh, open pit grades or near surface surface mining these days, which in many times, uh, in many cases, are, are less than one gram per ton sometimes. So, of course, all, all systems uh, are different. All projects are different. You mentioned the oxides. Uh, I think you've talked about free milling in the past. So uh, this really, uh, as I understand it, your capital costs are expected to be very low because of the simplicity of the recovery of the, of the, uh, of the gold in this system. That's at least at this stage what you believe to be true, right? Uh, correct. Yes, it's both both the capital costs to develop a gravity plant are, are you know quite low and as well as the operating costs, which are also quite low. We're not talking about using uh, chemicals or cyanide here. We're talking about uh, permitting and building a small gravity plant and operating, you know, very simple equipment that uh, you know, is not uh, you know, energy intensive, say. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very important. Well, um, you know, nothing is easy, especially in markets like this for, for mining projects. Uh, what do you consider to be your major risks going right. forward here? I mean, if, you're, if your capital costs are low, your operating costs are low, but something tells me as a guy that's been around this industry for, you know, three or four decades, that nothing is easy, especially in markets like this. What are some of the major risks that you might still face here yet, uh, Quentin, in getting this uh, up and running into a profitable project? You know, Jay, I, I, I'm glad you asked that because, uh, you know, there, with mining, there's always stuff that keeps you up at night. And, um, you know, if, if I had to answer right now what keeps me up at night, it's not necessarily the technical, any technical issues or mm-hmm. even permitting issues or whatever at our project. I actually feel very confident this time. We're getting the data that, that we need and, and we're seeing what we like. So on that front, not too worried. What really concerns me right now is is the state of the gold market. Yeah. Um, we have what I think is an incredible, uh, you know, potentially high margin gold project here. And it, it, it would just be a heartbreaker to see gold go to a thousand and and, um, you know, we have one of the better gold projects I think is uh, could be in operation around the planet. Uh, gold's trading for a discount. You know, it, it, what concerns me is finding, you know, 
finding the interest and in, in, and so forth in in this gold market for shareholders to come back to the sector. It's yeah. uh, it's brutal. We have to capitalize this thing in a, in a few months. I am looking at ways to capitalize it. Fortunately, we've got a very good support. I've got a number of groups who. Uh, they're actually quite technically savvy looking at the project, and these are these are what what I would call smart money. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we're definitely looking at ahead and trying to get this thing moving as quickly as possible. But this uh, this gold market is a, an absolute bear. Oh, it is absolutely one of the worst bears that I've witnessed in uh, in you know thirty plus years in this business. No question about that. But certainly, uh, you know, I guess at some point in time you'll have a better handle on the actual cost of production. I mean, it's it's not inconceivable in my view. And I don't know if I'm off base in saying this or not, but that that uh, you know some projects may still make money at a thousand dollars an ounce if it were to go there. I, I guess it's too early to say whether that would be true with yours. But when I look at uh, three grams per ton, if that proves to be true, if I look at lower operating costs than most, look at low capital costs. Uh, you know who knows, but. Uh, I guess we'll find out in due course. What What are some of the drivers, Quentin, that um, uh, that people should be looking for right now? And what are some of the achievements that you've had on your project recently? I guess your, the bulk sampling results are certainly one of them. But uh, could you just sort of summarize what your most recent achievements and, and what people should be looking forward to uh, going forward here in terms of uh, drivers that could cause the stock to rise even in a bear market? Sure thing. So we have what I think is, again, one of the, it has the potential for being a very, very high margin deposit. Gold goes to a thousand. This project should be all right. I don't want to sell gold at a thousand. Uh, that would be a, a very big disappointment. But what we're doing over the next few months, what we are trying to accomplish in as quickly as possible, is a to get our resource out. This requires a few more assays that have yet to come back. Uh, I will be putting those out probably in the next week or two. The resource should be ready in the next, say, eight weeks, we'll call it. Then we have done a lot of economic work already. Uh, we can't publish it because, you know, we have to we have to get the resource out. There's kind of a, a proper order to do things. But we should have a lot of that data already in hand. So by later this year, we will be able to put some economics to the, to the resource. The other things that we've got coming out, I've got a bunch of GRG tests. These are the gravity goal recovery tests. And I think once those numbers come out, people will see very easily that we should should have very good recovery, as well as get a better feel for the grade of this system. You know, those are the, the those are what I would call the short-term objectives between now and the end of the year. We want to put together uh, a very compelling case for a very high margin project here in, in WA. And it's really the first stage in what we see is, is a project that could grow over time. We we can then tackle, you know, start looking at the sulfide once we have cash mm-hmm. flow, you know, potential cash flow out of this operation and so forth and so on. It's something we're going to build. No, it's uh, it, it is certainly a, a very most unusual project and one of the most exciting ones that I've found in uh, you know thirty thirty forty years of following this industry. Very unique and um, in, you know the, the stock has been bludgeoned like most have. Uh, I I think that uh, you know really smart operators, uh, the Rick Rules of this world, the uh, Creases of this world, various people uh, who have really made a lot of money in this sector have done so when nobody else wants to go near them. And I I can't remember a period of time when 
there's been more bearish sentiment than right now, Quentin. So at the same time, uh, you know, technically, from what I understand of the project, it looks very, very promising. So I'm, I'm really pulling for you. I've got a lot of shares uh, for myself in this project. So uh, I have a selfish interest in seeing it succeed. Uh, clearly, uh, I, I really hope you do. And um, thank you very much. Anything else you'd like to add before we conclude our discussion today? Well, let's, uh, let's just hope that the, the, the gold price stops going down. I think uh, a lot of people have come out and said we're at a bottom and this and that. I think bottoms are best viewed in a rear view mirror. No, you know you've hit a bottom when you can look back and say, yep, that was the bottom. Yeah. And I think we're, we're getting close to that stage, but uh, it might require a little bit more patience. You just never know. Well, thank you very much, Quentin, for being with us once again. Always a pleasure talking to you. And we'll look uh, forward to updating our listeners once again in maybe eight weeks or so once you get the resource. That would be great to have you back then. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very Take much. Well, well, folks, uh, don't go away. We're coming up next after the break with David Kranzler, hedge fund manager, who's really a very strong bull on gold in spite of its recent uh, behavior. And David also takes a look at geopolitical events and, and what's going on globally uh, and how gold fits into that picture. So I think you're, you're not going to want to miss David Kranzler right after the break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Cornerstone Capital Resources is a prospect generator focused on joint venturing its highly prospective gold, silver, and copper projects in Ecuador and Chile. At its Cascabel Joint Venture in Ecuador, funded by partner Sol Gold PLC, hole five of an ongoing drilling program intersected over 1,300 meters, grading over six-tenths of a percent copper and over half a gram per ton gold. Cornerstone retains a 15% interest financed through to completion of a bankable feasibility study. Symbol CGP on the TSXV and CTNXF on the OTC. Some things never go out of style. In the gold business, for over 100 years, high-grade Canadian gold discoveries have been in vogue amongst investors. Balmoral Resources has continued to deliver high-grade results from a series of new discoveries in Quebec. If you're looking to upgrade your portfolio in the fall with some golden highlights, learn more about Balmoral at balmoralresources.com. Balmoral trades on the OTCQX under the symbol BALMF and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol BAR. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time David Kranzler. David uh, spent many years working in various analytical jobs and trading on Wall Street. For nine of those years, he traded junk bonds at Bankers Trust. He earned an MBA from the University of Chicago with a concentration in accounting and finance. And currently, David manages or co-manages, I should say, Golden Returns Capital. It's a precious metals and mining stock investment fund based out of Denver, and he writes a blog and offers in-depth, unique research reports to help people understand and analyze what is really going on 
in our financial system and economy. And of course, that is why I invited David to join me today because that is the aim of this show is, uh, as stated from the very first show back in March of 2009 when G. Edward Griffin was our uh, was our first guest and he's the author of The Creature from Jekyll Islands. We want to help people try to decipher what is really going on out there by filtering out the falsehoods that the mainstream propaganda machine is constantly throwing our way day in and day out. Before I say hello to David Cranswell, let me just strongly suggest that you take down his website address. Uh, there you can gain information and uh, David's insights into the markets. Uh, that website is investmentresearchdynamics.com, investmentresearchdynamics.com. Dot com. Welcome, David, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Jay. I've been a longtime admirer of your, your research work in mining stocks. In fact, when I first got into this sector back in middle of 2001 and started looking at mining stocks, whenever I would, would do you know an Internet search on it, your name was one of the first ones that popped up. So I was almost... Well, you know, it was one of the few choices that was out there back then. So yeah, I, uh, back then that's right. You know, and I'm, I'm you know almost as old as some of the rocks I look at to try to pick mining stocks. <laughs> so I've been around this business for a long time. Uh, there are not too many newsletter writers these days that have been around longer than I. That's uh, in this field anyway. That's for sure. Well, David, thank you for those those kind comments, and I'm really glad that we finally got to talk. You know, just as I, I noted in your uh, in, in the introduction that I just gave our listeners, you were definitely a mainstream Wall Street guy. At Bankers Trust. Now I think uh, it is fair to call you a gold bug. I mean, you're running a gold fund. You've got gold and gold shares in that fund. Uh, and you take a, a not so reverent view of the status quo. What has caused you to change your worldview? Well, first of all, I'd, I'd like to say in polite circles, we call ourselves the gold investing community, not gold bugs. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. No, I mean, I- and it's a, it is a, a sort of a uh, you know a, a sort of an adverse term to call someone a gold bug. It makes you look like you're pretty stupid. It, it, you know what? I actually I like being called a gold bug. I mean, trust me, working on a trading desk in Wall Street, I was called much worse things that you wouldn't want. To hear, <laughs> I can <so>. imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, first off, just to get started, I just I just want everyone to know that in terms of what's happening with gold and silver now, I mean, the sentiments just. It's by far the most negative that I've seen it in the 15 years I've been doing this sector. Um, the, the mining stocks are just beaten down to the point where, I mean, the Huey index is back to the level where it was when gold was trading around 400 bucks an ounce. I mean, it's, wow, it's wow. absurd. So, yeah. you know, and silver was, was trading between four and five bucks an ounce back then. So um, what, what I just wanted to to say is that we're not wrong about the reasons for owning gold and silver. In fact, if you look at the price appreciation over a 15-year period, gold and silver have outperformed any other asset class that I can think of, including the stock market. Uh If you go from today and take it back 15 years, where we've probably been wrong on a short-term basis is in underestimating the degree of fraud and criminality that's engulfed our system and this mm. I mean, it's widespread and it, it's not just corporate America and Wall Street it's also in the government and the government's supposed to be the one that polices all this and yet most of the government officials that are in positions to enforce the laws come from Wall Street mm-hmm. so it's kind of like the fox hunt, you know watching the hen house so we're, we're not wrong about gold and silver and one of these days we're going to be proven to be extremely right yeah, it, it, 
I definitely think that's right. And what you were just saying here sort of reminds me of a uh, of a remark from uh, Marcus Tullius uh, uh, Cicero uh, back in uh, way back in 58 BC. You know, when he talked about nations uh, that they can survive uh, their outside enemies, but the people inside. Uh, you know, the the government itself in this case seems to be in cahoots with the evildoers or with these sort of criminal, uh, sort of criminal behavior. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about. I would like to get an idea, David, whether you think that ultimately the laws of economics will trump the bad guys. I mean, that's that's the the notion of free market people. Ultimately, we saw the Soviet Union, uh, you know, crumble under its own uh, under its own uh, statist economic system, I would argue. I mean, some people think it's all because of the mighty United States military that did it, but but it was clearly crumbling from within, no doubt about that. And, you know, I think, and you and I would agree that probably that we see a great deal of similarity between what's going on here and what happened in the Soviet Union, as we have thrown away free market ideas here, starting with money, of course. But if I tune into CNBC or Bloomberg television, the general message I hear about the global economy is that you know, the U.S. economy isn't all that good, but you know we're we're pretty good compared to everybody else, and besides that, the Federal Reserve is doing a great job, and uh, you know sooner or later they're gonna we'll be right back, and and the United States uh, is certainly ahead of everybody else. We're certainly better than everyone else. Our economy is really good uh, compared to everyone else's, and it's getting better. Uh, can you tell our listeners how you view the U.S. economy and its prospects moving forward? <laughs> Well, I, I guess it kind of depends on what numbers you want to look at. Do you want to look at the the rigged, manipulated numbers that that are in the script they're reading off of on CNBC and Bloomberg, or do you want to look yeah. at the real numbers? Yeah. So we, we've gotten our whole financial market system is is kind of assimilated this idea that. You know, what if Wall Street says something, then those are the numbers. Or if if the government reports an economic report, those are the numbers. I mean, the government's telling us the unemployment rate is just over five percent. But I don't know anyone who would acknowledge that number as being anywhere even close to being legitimate. Yeah. And and the fact that they sit there and talk about it and debate it and dissect it on CNBC and Bloomberg and Fox Businesses, if those are the numbers, I mean, it's it's absurd. These are educated people, and whether or not they know the truth, I have to believe they actually know what the truth is. I think they're I think they're just fraudulently misrepresenting the situation because they're they're paid a lot of money to do it. But if if you look at, especially really since the fourth quarter of 2014. A, a common theme that emerges in almost every economic report, and this includes the ones that are manipulated, seasonally adjusted, and and they take the monthly number and turn it into an annualized rate, which in and of itself is just a complete injustice to to the study of economics and finance. But the common theme has been that a lot of these economic indices and a lot of these economic metrics have now declined back to the levels where they were in 2000 and 2000 and, I mean, 2008 and 2009, yeah. which is 2009 is when we were quote unquote officially in a recession. Yeah. So, I mean, you've had really where, where, but what's occurred is that the, the Federal Reserve has injected $3.6 trillion in liquidity that's kept the government going because it's bought almost all of the go- new government debt that's been issued since 2009 and since QE started. 
and it's injected it into the banking system to keep the banking system solvent, and the banking system has extended leverage to primarily hedge funds and speculators, and it's and it's it's blown up a stock and bond bubble that is the biggest stock and bond bubble we've seen in the history of this country. Yeah. So, I mean, I you know, I I think I think not only is the economy in a recession as it was measured by the Q1 GDP report, I think I think the final revised number came in at something like minus 0.2% or something. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it was. If you if they legitimately measured that, I I think it would have been much higher contraction in the first quarter than what they're reporting. And I think things have gotten worse in the second quarter, and you're especially seeing that in things like um, retail sales. I mean, the retail sales just seem to be collapsing, especially if you strip out inflation. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the the idea, though, Dave, is that they have to keep the animal spirits alive, right? The Keynesian notion of animal spirits. So, you know, I don't know if 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 those people that are reading the script believe, or I think they actually they're getting paid not to think and just simply to look pretty and and uh, and to do what their bosses tell them. But uh, you know, John Williams, who's been on this show, you would know John, the work of John Williams, and his his inflation numbers are much much higher than the government's numbers, which and so he would be very much in agreement with you that we're that we're that we've never really come out of the recession since uh, from two thousand eight two thousand nine, and that we uh, are continuing on. But nonetheless, they have to keep the animal spirits alive, and and one of the things that would get in the way of that uh, and make people cringe, especially Wall Street, is if the gold price rises. Uh, you know, and and on your blog, you've talked a lot uh, about the manipulation of the gold price, primarily through the paper markets. Um, you know, what 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 do you think is behind the seemingly orchestrated massive smackdowns of the gold price? Is it? Do you think it's it's um it's just simply somebody that's sitting on high that sort of figures that we've got to keep people thinking along the lines of everything is pretty good. And if the gold price starts to take off, it's going to send messages to people to to trade their dollars in for gold. Or do you think it's just simply traders acting in their own behalf, trying to make a buck? It's it's probably. I mean, realistically, it's probably ninety percent the former, and maybe ten percent traders trying to piggyback the manipulation. You know, making a buck. Uh huh. So, but as you said it, I mean, the price of gold is is your, it's basically your alarm bell for the entire system. Mm -hmm. And if the price of gold goes up, it basically alerts people and alerts the markets that something isn't right beneath the surface, not just in the financial system, but in the economic system. And, And so they have to keep a lid on the price of gold. In order, to, it's basically the same thing as, as you know, un, unplugging the warning alarm or unplugging the fire alarm in a school. Sure. You know. Yeah. So so and and that, so that's that's what's the motivation is behind the manipulation and the evolution of the paper derivative gold markets has been the perfect setup for them to execute this. You know, uh, it seems to me that if, if I were a trader, you're you're a former trader, so I try to put myself in your shoes 
if I was agnostic with respect to gold, you know, and you and I both believe that gold is really the money that we should be using because it's an asset-based money, and for a host of reasons, the markets have always, when when they were free, chose gold uh, as their as their as their means of money, gold or silver. Uh, but if I'm a, if I'm a trader and I'm starting to see gold take off and I'm starting to think I can make a lot of money, I mean, wouldn't I start? getting rid of some other assets and buying gold. So it seems to me that part of, it, of the means is uh, of, of the method of keeping control of the dollar-based monetary system or the petrodollar-based monetary system is to, is to keep those traders on Wall Street happy making money trading dollars, petrodollars, uh, in one form or another rather than getting out of that system and going into gold. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. Because I could see a massive move from the traders on Wall Street who really don't don't care at all about this this ideology. They don't understand. I, I think they don't understand the connection between freedom and honest money. But if but I don't think they have to. If they saw gold starting to rise like crazy and they could get rich trading it and getting out of paper and into gold, they would do it. I think in a heartbeat. And I think that's I think that's what they have. The policymakers are deathly afraid of. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, that's that's part of the dynamic that we saw. If you remember, gold and silver and the mining stocks bottomed out in late October 2008, mm-hmm. and they started moving higher. In fact, the Huey index, I think, went up something like 200% between October and the end of December that year, and that was in the face of the stock market declining. And so what we saw was a, a massive movement of capital out of stocks and into the precious metal sector in all forms. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's part of the dynamic that they're they they're terrified of having happen again, and they're they're trying to prevent it. Well, let's talk, David, just just a little bit. Uh, you know, David Jensen, who you and I both know, uh, I, I've talked to him on this show and other people as well. And David and I have done some extensive uh, some extensive podcasts in the past about. This uh, the mechanics of how they are controlling and capping the gold price. When I say they, uh, could you help our listeners get a sense of who they might be? Well, I mean, it's again, it's it's because this whole the whole setup is completely opaque by design. So, for instance, when when we look at the commitment of traders report that comes out every week, and we and it and it has like you know. The commercial, the commercial sector, and then the the managed money sector, and the retail sector. Uh-huh. When you look at the you know the commercial sector, it's basically broken into two subcategories: producers and hedgers, and then and then the swap dealers, which presumably are the banks. But we don't we have no idea who the banks are. But mm-hmm. I mean, I think everyone knows, especially if you just look, you know, the the vault operators on the Comex or J.P. Morgan. And HSBC and Scotia; those are the those are the bank vault operators, mm-hmm. and so it's it's obvious that those are the ones who are make up the the uh, the bulk of the commercial side of the commitment of traders report. But uh, I believe, and as as I'm sure you do, and everyone in the gold investing community, that these banks are are essentially just agents acting on behalf of the central banks, primarily the Fed, and ultimately, I think. Um, they're all acting on behalf of the BIS, so mm-hmm. the, the central bank of central banks. And so mm-hmm. I, I think the policy directive in terms of 
how to handle gold in terms of, of how hard to manipulate it, et cetera, I think it gets handed down from on high from the BIS. And so okay, those, those so, are players. Okay, so let's talk about how they've been able to uh, to keep a lid on gold uh, mechanically, c- c- maybe for the sake of some of our listeners who may not be familiar with this process. There's a paper market and then there's a bullion market. Talk to us about the difference of those two markets and how the paper market is really the market that's used to control the price that miners are paid for the sale of their bullion. Sure. Well, I mean, the the, the physical bullion market historically was in London, the LBMA, and it was supposed to be where physical bullion exchanged hands every day. You know, obviously it's it's migrated into also a paper market. But if you want to look at just like the Shanghai Gold Exchange, that's a true physical bullion market where where on a daily basis trades get settled up and physical bullion exchanges hands between buyers and sellers. And it, there's no futures on the Shanghai Gold Exchange. So that's mm-hmm. a pure physical bullion market. And the other end of the extreme would be the COMEX, which is 99% a, a paper futures contract market. There's almost no physical bullion that exchanges hands on the COMEX, even though they do report physical gold holdings in the, in the um, vaults that are custodian vaults for, for COMEX gold and silver. So, for instance, um, you know, I, the thing of it is, is a paper market is it's essentially a de facto fiat market because if yeah. the bullion banks need to control the price of gold, let's say the price of gold starts to move higher, and the, and the order comes down on high, hey, we we gotta we gotta squash this. They just print up, you know, there's 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 buyers on one side that are buying futures whether or not they would take delivery, but at least they're speculating from the long side. They're following the fundamental side of the story. Hey, this economic report was bad. Let's let's buy gold futures because they're not going to raise interest rates, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, the the banks who are who are given orders to cap this, all they need to do to create to create a cap on the price is just print more future certificates and use those to feed the demand for gold. All right. So when you can, you you know, it's just like with dollars. You know, the famous Bernanke. You know, we we have a technology that allows us to create an infinite amount of electronic dollars at almost no cost. Well, it's the same concept applies to the COMEX. They can create paper gold, additional paper gold at almost no no additional cost. And so it's it's not it's not a legitimate gold market. And yet it's viewed as such. Uh, the, the prices we see quoted and in the minds of most people, uh, you know, to, uh, you know a, a $1,100 gold is what is, is really the true cost of the true price of gold. And yet uh, it has so uh, – the ratios, as I understand it, are very large. I mean, the amount of paper money, the paper that's printed, paper futures that are printed and, and spot – a paper that's printed is is so large compared to the uh, to the actual bullion that's traded is something like a hundred times more in gold and even more in silver. I think something like that. Yeah, I can. I have some of the. I have the current numbers as of this morning. But um, it, the COMEX actually isn't really viewed as a legitimate market. The, the the legitimate physical buyers of gold are buying their gold either in London. And I think that's where part of the part of the big shortage that 
that you and I know about is that's developing is 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 developing in London for physical gold and silver, um, or they buy it in in Shanghai. I mean, mm-hmm. India. We know India is the second largest importer of gold in the world, but they don't buy. They don't. They don't play around on the COMEX. China is the largest importer of gold in the world. They're not on the COMEX. So, so the real legitimate buyers of physical gold and silver, they're not on the COMEX. But they're beneficiaries of the manipulation that the COMEX creates. So right. and there's no reason for them to step in there and, and, and put a bid in the market and, and try and, and find true price discovery for what the true price of of physical gold and silver should be the way I like to think about it. I like to think about it as a trader would think about it. Okay, so if you and I want to buy gold, we can go to the local coin dealer and buy an ounce of gold at pretty close to the price that's as it's set on the COMEX, right? Right. And and if if buyers want to buy, you know, a you know a couple, maybe even a couple hundred tons worth of gold, they can go to the Shanghai Gold Exchange, maybe not a couple hundred tons, maybe not that large a size. Um, Dave, I, I'm going to have to. Dave, I'm going to have to interrupt you because we're just about out of time. Uh, we'll, we'll have to carry this on in the future. But uh, with the with, just let me ask you this, and if you've got 30 seconds to answer it, and uh, if you had endless amounts of buying power out of money that's created out of nothing. What hope is there that we'll ever see a turnaround in the gold price? Is there any reason to own gold? Can't the big guys, the guys that, that print money out of nothing, can't they go on forever and keep driving gold down and, and keep us out of the gold market? Uh, with 30 seconds, and, and maybe we'll have to come back and answer that question in the future, but tell us, give us your best shot with 30 seconds left. History tells us that official intervention, market interventions always fail. And when they fail, they fail spectacularly. Well, and, do you, could, and could so we, I, I don't. I don't think that they can keep up this this intervention forever. And I think we're getting close to the end of it. All right. Well, I I wish we had more time, but uh, thank you very much, David, for being with us. And we'll look forward to talking to you again sometime. That, finishing this conversation. Thank you very much. Well, that's all the time we have this week, folks. But next week, I'll be talking to William Engdahl. He's a very accomplished historian who has not been. Uh, bought and paid for by the establishment by any means, Engdahl will have some extremely interesting and insightful things to tell you uh, and explain why the global financial system is as messed up as it is. You won't want to miss what uh, Mr. Engel has to say. I want to thank our sponsors. Thanks to uh, my producer, uh, Tacey Trump and Matt Widener, my engineer, uh, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. 